Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm your host, Chelsea, and with me is co-host, Arzu. Hello. Last week, we talked about SG-1 Season 4, Episodes 12 and 13, some of my favorites. And today, we're going to be talking about Episodes 14 and 15, The Serpent's Venom and Chain Reaction. The Serpent's Venom premiered on September 29th, 2000, was written by Peter DeLuise and directed by Martin Wood. Chain Reaction premiered on January 5th, 2001, was written by Joseph Molassi and Paul Mully and directed by Martin Wood. So we've got different kinds of political drama in the two episodes this week. Arzu, would you please summarize? Yes. So um, the Serpent's Venom, our boy Apophis is back Ooh. and he's got a rad cheek implant. Um, <laughs> so Teal'c is like trying to start a Jaffa uprising and his friends are like, that sounds cool. Traitor. And then he gets like <laughs> hauled off and they were all spies all along. Um and the rest of the team is trying to get him out and to get Apophis and her. <laughs> um, I can't say it and neither can they. It's um, a harrower. But yeah, one of the people in the episodes calls her, he says harrower. And I'm like, I'm Hi. like, y'all are making this on purpose. Harrower. <laughs> okay, not a real word. Um, trying to get them to fight each other so they don't kill anyone. So there's like all of the alien stuff going on. And then in Chain Reaction, it is the kind of procedural drama episode I cannot stand. And that's when they bring somebody new in who messes up the team dynamic and everybody's upset. And they're like, this is going to be the change forever. And I'm like, but this is going to be over in 40 minutes. There's no stakes here. So that happens to SG-1. I mean, I enjoyed it, but <laughs> I just like I hate this because there's no stakes and all I am is annoyed because you're obviously bad at your job and you're obviously going to do something wrong. And the team's going to be like, mm-hmm. well, that's not how we do things. And you're going to be like, well, that's how we do things under my authority. And mm-hmm. I'm like, but in 43 minutes, you're going to be gone. Like, don't unpack your boxes. Don't get comfortable. Yeah. Well, a lot of the purpose of this episode, though, was to set up future stuff. Like getting more into like the NID and and what and like okay. what Mayborn's up to and kind of that kind of stuff. But yeah, so we can get into that. But yeah, it's Fine. yeah. But like, <laughs> why do I have to suffer? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's do our quote reveal. And I absolutely cannot do justice to uh, Christopher Judge's delivery on this, but I'll do my best. <laughs> I gave you the quote. If I thought my soul would be forever punished, why would I lie? And your guess was that Daniel is talking to the alien of the week who has some ritual that Daniel isn't following and Daniel is defending himself. So you were extremely wrong. Right. (laughs) Well, part of. (laughs) Part of. (laughs) But it's not like a ritual that Teal'c isn't following. So I don't think I can give you context on that one. Fine. I mean, like, it's usually involving like an alien of week, a so. point. <laughs> Which you're not going to track, but I, I'll keep close. I'll give you like a little sprinkle of a point. Okay. If I get enough sprinkles, plus, I get a whole point. Spr- plus sprinkle. I have to figure out how many sprinkles it takes to make I should get like a punch card for like you got <laughs> one thing right in a seat wrong. And when I get 10 of those, I get one point. Okay. <laughs> sure. I'll start you a sprinkle punch card. Yay. <laughs> okay, so starting off in the Serpent's Venom, 
Teal'c goes to Tulak, and before we found out that Apophis had bombed the majority of Tulak um, because he knew that there were some traitors, and so he figured might as well just kill them all. Well, apparently he didn't kill everybody, because apparently there's enough people there to still have multiple villages. Boy, so. right. <laughs> so Teal is going to try to see if he can get people you know recruited to his cause and so he meets up with Rachnor and another guy who isn't important because we never see him again Makar I think anyway yeah we never see him again it's fine <laughs> Rachnor is a little bit more important though <laughs> And so initially they're like pretending to go along with it, like they want to be a part of the rebellion, but then they're like, ha, tricked ya. And they actually capture him and take him to Haru-ur. You say that ten times fast. <laughs> it's so there is a scene where someone's like Haru-ur, and I'm like, I feel like you're not <laughs> saying that quite right. I think there's someone who'll be like Haru-er, and I'm like that. You took a whole two week vacation in the middle of those two syllables. Well, but it is like two separate things. I know, but it's like Haru-er. Well, but it's Haru-er because there's a dash in there, right? But like, not to make that like not to really show my generation age, but it's Mary Kate. It's not Mary Kate. Yeah. You know what I mean? This person's like, Haru-er. I'm like, those are two different words. That was arguably two different sentences. But I would still argue that that's better than Haru-er. I think Haru-er is the way to go. (laughs) Personally. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I don't really have uh, a lot of authority as a white person trying to say this name, so, you know. I don't have any authority either. <laughs> As humans, neither of us has the authority to say this name. Right. I'm assuming it's Egyptian? Is it? I mean, because they're all based Google. on Egyptian gods. Yeah, but they're just, they just make stuff up on this show. Uh, it's an alternate name for Horus the Elder. Same. Yeah, I mean, it is... Cowards. It is, um, it is an Egyptian god. Also named known as Haru, Har, Hair, and Hor. <laughs> Sorry. <That was> cool. <laughs> um, okay, but this is ancient Egyptian. Not so I wonder why they decided anymore. to call him Haruer as, as opposed to Horus. Because Literally, Horus like everybody the... knows how to say Horus. Yeah. If you want to use the old one and sound fancy, Haru is fine. I wonder if there was some. Did they not have the copyright to say Horus? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Because even with, uh, like, Seth, they call him Seth because I feel like it's more, like, Americanized and easy to say, whereas I think Sekhmet is the more common version, I think. But you can get away with saying Seth because Seth is the name that we still use. No, Set is actually Set. the Sorry. more common name, but they call him Seth in the te- in this show, right? So, I, I mean, they don't always use the like most common form. So, while we're on the subject of Haruer and Apophis, I do like um, Christopher Judge sitting there talking about like 
bringing an end to the gods. And I'm like, you're playing God of War before you were ever playing God of War, sir. <laughs> I don't know anything about that character, though. <laughs> so I, can... so I, <laughs> I haven't played the new games, like the ones that he's in, but in the older games, the when it was the Greek and Roman pantheon and not like the Norse one like it is now, Kratos, the main character's TLDR, his mission was to just kill the gods. Yeah. For some slight, I don't remember what his reasoning was, but he wanted to kill all the gods. So him sitting there going like, we're going to kill the gods. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know that yet. He didn't know, but I know. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Uh, so Ragnar who we are going to see in, a, in another five future episodes as the specific character. Like the next five? Or no, no, five? just like in general well, over, the over the next, next one, like... over the next like four or five seasons. Like we're going to see him a few more times. Uh, but he has his brand burned off, which is the first time that we've ever seen that. So, because we had been talking about that before yeah. in terms of if a Jafal wanted to move their remove their brand, like could they? And the answer is, well, yes, but it looks weird. <laughs> but now you have a burn on your head. Yeah, now you have a circular burn. <laughs> so it still doesn't look great. It's like, well, now you're not you're not wearing the symbol of a false god, but your forehead does look pretty wonky. So, yeah. <laughs> but yes, it's gone, but at what cost? Right. <laughs> So Teal'c is taken to Harrower's ship. And we should just call it, start calling him Horus because it's easier. <laughs> we could. <laughs> taken to Horus's ship. <laughs> it also Where... honestly helps me keep track of who he is much better. Really? <laughs> yeah. And so there we meet the delightful Tarok. Who is kind of a lesser Gwold working for Hair or such horse. <laughs> and um, his job is to torture Teal'c and try to get him to admit that the Gwold are real gods and beg for forgiveness and all this kind of stuff while on camera so that they can then use that when showing it to other Jaffa who were kind of wavering in their loyalty to show that, oh, even the renowned traitor Teal'c, you know, changed his ways and admitted that the Gwolder gods. Right. So, yeah, he was just a, a, a delightful guy who really enjoys his uh, job of torturing people. Um, he uses some, like, really classic, like, abuser lines. Like, I'm not doing this to break you or torture you. I'm doing this to save you. I'm like, that's, like, literally what abusers say. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, it like, was, like, harrowing to watch. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I tried to, like, not pay rough. attention too much during those scenes. Because it's, like, Yeah. Like unexpectedly so for Stargate, like yeah, brutal which for is Stargate, which is why I was really glad that that was offset with the other plot for this episode, which is that we know that uh, Apophis and Horus are going to have a meeting, and they're doing it next to this minefield, and so the team, with the help of Jacob, are going to go 
uh, booby trap a mine basically and get it to try to start a war between these two as opposed to them teaming up together against the rest of the system lords. Right. So this is like the fun part of the plot <laughs> where Daniel gets to look smart for being able to read Phoenician and Sam gets to look smart for pointing out to Daniel that any advanced number system has to have zero. <laughs> and Jack gets to kind of sort of play a video game. <laughs> Jack gets to be here too. That was so funny when he like wasn't initially invited. And Jacob's like, yeah, yeah, you can come too. It's fine. Like, I don't need you, but yeah, you can come. But then he did end up needing him. So, you know. I didn't think he needed him. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, you know, right away, Daniel is given one of these impossible to translate cases. And of course, like, that's like his jam. And he's super into it. He's like, oh no, it's impossible. What will I do? Right. But I mean, the main part of it that he needed to translate was mostly just numbers and colors. So I'm like, okay, that's not like, it's not like he's translating philosophy over here. I just like the idea of him being like, this is impossible. And like the language level is like kindergarten. <laughs> Like what you teach kids in kindergarten when you teach them the second language. All right. <laughs> I mean, it does have provide a really nice comedic moment where he's like packing up two like huge backpacks full of books to take on the mission, so he'll be able to translate stuff as they go. Mm-hmm. And like Jack teases him for it, and <laughs> I love all the references both in this episode and the next episode. There's lots of like technology references that make me laugh because it's like, well, I couldn't find a Phoenician dictionary on uh, archaeology.com. <laughs> no, what I thought was funny, I couldn't find a Phoenician CD-ROM. Right? Yeah, yeah. On archaeology.com, I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Oh, the CD-ROM. I remember that. And like specifically saying CD-ROM and not just CD. Because it's new. Yeah. Yeah. This is the only time we encounter this minefield, which I think is too bad. I think it could have been like repurposed for another episode later on. The only time like full stop? Mm Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah. Why do they come up with all these cool concepts and like, well, I guess we're never going to talk about that again. I don't know. I guess they just didn't find a convenient way to use it. Like, they didn't need... Well, I guess they did kind of burn up a lot of the mines. A lot of the mines blew up by the end, but I don't think all of them because there were hundreds of thousands. Probably a few hundred certainly blew up at the end. But I wouldn't think all of them. Mm. I don't know. But it made me wonder, these people that created the mines have been extinct for centuries. And I'm like, I wonder how they died out if they have such a good defense system. You know, like, lack of resources, civil war. I mean, there's no mention of, like, how these people died out. I'm like, well, that could have made for an interesting story, but I guess not. Too busy (laughs) debating how to say horror. 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 Anybody still listening has decided to stop. (laughs) So 
Then we, you know, kind of flip back and forth between that plot and Tilk's plot and with Tilk's plot. Yeah, I mean, I was also wondering if it was really hard to film. Is it hard to film being tortured? Like, especially because he's, like, hanging by his wrists most of the time. So he has to, like, I mean, he's really showing off his muscles because he's, like, pulling himself up by his arms the majority of the time. Like, that just seems exhausting. I think it's one of those things where they don't, if they don't need to linger on you, like if the shot's not on you, then you're not tied up. Yeah. And like you stop and start a lot because you have to be able to just stand. Right. Yeah. If they're just like shoulders up, then he's probably like kneeling on a foam pad or something. Yeah. Like nowadays, I feel like there's a lot more awareness Mm -hmm. in general for like physically unsafe conditions whereas i'm not sure what that was like in 2001 yeah i mean i wouldn't think that they would like make it too uncomfortable for him i mean give him lots of breaks certainly i would hope so but yeah and i for some reason i was when i was watching this tarok guy torture him i'm like he reminds me of elon musk (laughs) he does i was looking at him like i know this guy (laughs) elon musk (laughs) Because he's, like, so concerned with being more famous than Teal'c is. <laughs> and I'm just like, my dude. Like... I, I also realized while he was talking, I get when they do, like, the earlier voice and it sounds like this. I'm like, I get that it's it's to sound different. It's to sound alien. Mm-hmm. Cool. I don't didn't realize how much I rely on subtitles. Yeah. Until... They start talking like that because I'm like, yeah. I can't hear a damn thing. It's saying. hard to understand them sometimes. I mean, some of them do better than others. Like, I think Apophis, like, enunciates pretty well. Yeah. But, like, for one, if they don't enunciate super well or they have a naturally deep voice to begin with and then it gets deeper, then, yeah. It's very difficult to follow. Yeah. I'm like, I just need you to, like, sharpen your consonants a little bit more. <laughs> but enunciate. I Diction. Yeah. I noticed that Teal'c spit on Tarok, and Tarok licked it. Yum! And I was like, what are you doing, you weirdo? That's nasty. I just I just can't with this guy. And so we find out that Ragnar has kind of a connection to Teal'c through his father, Teal'c once spared his father's life, and so his father decided to follow in Teal'c's footsteps and rebel against the Gwauld, but he ended up being captured and killed because of it. And so now Ragnar is mad at Teal'c for essentially, uh, like, very indirectly bringing about his father's death. How dare he? I'm like, I mean, I really don't think you can blame Teal'c for that, but (laughs) I understand the the mental path you took to get there. (laughs) And Ragnar is just astounded that Teal'c is going through all this torture and will not say that the world are gods. And, And he's just like, you're going to get killed and then Apophis is going to resurrect you and then kill you again. And Teal'c's like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know how this works, man. <laughs> That's just I the sure way it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. 
And Tarok tries to use the bait of saying that he had done the same thing with Braytac and killed Braytac. And it's like, nope, that's not going to break him. Because, like, there's no proof. If you have Braytac, bring Braytac in and show Tilk that you have him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. (laughs) So I guess, spoiler alert, Braytac's fine. (laughs) He's like, I killed him. Like, okay, sure. I don't think they ever captured Braytac. No. It's fine. It's all good. So then it's like going back to the whole mine situation. They bring in a mine onto the cargo ship and they get to work on it and they have to like open up this panel section underneath the mine and like work on it upside down of course and you gotta add some kind of stakes to it right right of course (laughs) and like it's really hard to because the mine is moving on its own it's hard to like keep the cargo ship centered around the mine and also not hit any other mines while they're doing this and so there's a lot of close calls with Jacob you know almost not quite getting it right and the mine almost touching the cargo ship or touching Daniel and Sam that are underneath it and there's lots of like close moments between Jack and Sam during this kind of thing because there's one time when it gets too close to her and he yanks her out from underneath it by her feet and then they go like stand in a corner together and hold each other i can't handle the teasing (laughs) i will say Um, and then like she's like laying underneath it and he's looking up underneath the mine and he almost has his head on her lower region Speaking of which, there's a line when they're looking in there. Don't touch it anywhere but inside the opening. Yeah. And I'm like, ew! (laughs) Really now? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) To our listeners, I'm just sorry. I'm not that sorry. Hopefully you're not listening to this first thing in the morning. (laughs) Hopefully you're not listening to this out loud. (laughs) This is family friendly. What are you talking about? It's fine. I am talking talking about about the mine. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not the one talking about lower regions. (laughs) It's her stomach, okay? He was close to her stomach. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, got a little derailed. We're back. (laughs) So they come across a problem and they ask... Jacob's Toker counterpart Sal Mac to come and help and so Jack gets a chance to take the flight controls and he's like pretty excited about it. He's like okay this is kind of fun. (laughs) And so Jacob goes back there and is literally no help. He Because they're like we can't figure it out. And he's like figure it out. And they're like we can't figure it out. And he's like figure it out. And like that's it. He doesn't do anything to help them. And I'm like, what is your purpose, sir? He has none. Seriously. Like, could you please actually help? (laughs) And so that's kind of like when Sam figures out that Daniel had only mentioned numbers one through nine and there needed to be a zero. So they're one off and they're counting. 
in this code that they have to input in order to, you know, redo the mind's programming. I like see. I liked this because there's so much of the like major Carter. Uh huh. We don't usually see the Doctor Carter a lot. Yeah. I like when the Doctor Carter jumps out. Yeah. She gets to use those book smarts. Yeah. It did surprise me though that Daniel pushed back a little bit on it because she was like there needs to be a zero and he's like why does there need to be a zero I'm like I feel like you don't have to be a mathematician to understand that an advanced computing system needs zeros but Daniel's a man (laughs) and when a woman explains the obvious Mm -hmm. you gotta push back first (sighs) yeah and I did, I really appreciated that she had, like, a big thing to contribute, and it wasn't all just Daniel's, you know, Phoenician translating. Yeah. Made it more of, like, a balanced episode. Yeah. Yeah. And so they do manage to re- reprogram the mine, and they send it over to Apophis's ship, and I think it's at this point that they learn that Teal'c is on Horace's ship. And they're trying to figure out how to save him. And Jacob, like a typical Tok'ra, is like, oh, well, he's just going to die. Uh, you know, and that's the way it is. <laughs> I'm like, you this, know. This is good. We're going to put a pin in this for, for the next episode, too. Okay. Put a pin in Which that part? Concept. Well, I guess they're just going to die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well. People being expendable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, luckily, over on Horace's ship, Ragnar decides to step in when Elon decides to kill <laughs> Teal'c. <laughs> and Ragnar's like, no, Elon, don't do it. I'm going to kill you instead. And so the two of them escape on a glider and Apophis's ship ends up getting hit by the mine, which I don't think really does any damage, but the whole point of it was mostly just to get the two of them starting fighting. And then Apophis reveals that he actually has a huge army with him. And this is the first time that we have ever seen a mothership be able to be cloaked. And so he has like, oh, I don't know, like eight maybe? I didn't count them. Somewhere around eight-ish ships that were cloaked. And they all pop up. And Harrower, he does not say anything. He just has this moment of clarity like, oh, I'm about to die. and he can't do anything about it there is not enough time for him to get to a glider or anything (laughs) and so i I don't know i just kind of appreciated that like two second moment of him being like well is it (laughs) i love when that happens (laughs) well that's that's my day (laughs) here it is oh well (laughs) and it really speaks to Apophis's both I guess egotism 
and the number of resources he has that a lot of his motherships end up taking the brunt of a bunch of mines going off so that his main ship can get away. I'm like, well, I mean, I guess he is about to go take over Horace's territory. So he probably has some motherships that he can replace that way. Not overly concerned. Yeah. I mean, I would think that he would want to save all the resources he possibly can before going to war with the system lords, but what do I... Didn't we talk about this before? Like, the hubris of it all? Of of not thinking we even needed to do that? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Well, we'll see. Now Apophis is very clearly the most powerful Gwawold. And he is up against the system lords, so... I'm tired of Apophis. (laughs) <laughs> I want him to die. Oh, but he's like our like main bad guy. I'm tired of he's boring now. <laughs> he's not he's got like a new wardrobe now. You know, spicing things up. Yeah, he's got the spicy cheek plate. <laughs> which and now like it, a, I'm liking color, the new look, but I'm still bored. His color is burgundy now instead of gold. Right, because he's angry. Yeah. He's out for revenge. But yeah, so Ragnar and Teal'c manage to get away and luckily Apophis does not notice that there's a glider that got away and also apparently either didn't notice the cargo ship or didn't care because he doesn't like try to send anybody after them. I'm like, well, that's nice. But they all get away and get to go home. And the day is saved. So they did the mine thing. They rescued Teal'c. Go team. Yeah. Yeah, I think we need to move on past Apophis. I think we've overgrown the need for Apophis. <laughs> he won't be the bad guy until the end of the show. So yeah. We'll get other You, you told me it kind of changes and I'm like waiting yeah. now. <laughs> Eagerly. Well, we still have to deal with the system lords. We have to, like, I mean, like I said before, they're not going to kill 100% of the Gwawold because there's simply too many of them to, like, deal with. Right. But they do need to essentially get rid of the system lords in order to, like, move on. Can't wait to get rid of the system lords. (laughs) All right, anything else about this episode you want to talk about? Nope. Okay. So, chain reaction. We have before we had political intrigue between Apophis and Horus, and now we've got political intrigue between the SGC and the NID. Yay. (laughs) I don't know why you didn't like this episode that much. I thought it was it, fine. It's the structure of the episode. Like, it, if any series had done an episode like this, it usually annoyed. Like, ER used to do it all the time, like, especially in the latter seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, at least once per season, they'd be like, hospital authority is sending in someone to manage the nurses station. And it's like a celebrity guest star for the week. And she comes in and like yells at all the nurses and splits mm-hmm. them up and makes them unhappy. And then by the end, they're like, we're taking the nurses station back. And then it's like she was never there. Like, yeah. it drives me insane. <laughs> well, I think the main aim of this episode was to further the whole NID plot 
And in general, I do like the NID plot because I think it's realistic in that if you have, if the Stargate program was real, you can bet that anybody who learned about it would want to get their hands on it. Oh, absolutely. You know? I'm not saying it's unrealistic. It just drives me bonkers when they send <laughs> in somebody to mess up the team. Because I'm like, this isn't right. going to stick. Right. Well, the whole messing up the team thing is not going to be a recurring bit. That's not that's, like the, a... that's the bit I took issue with. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to be like a common thing that keeps happening. But like the NID will keep popping up in new and different ways throughout the seasons. You know? Huzzah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to worm their way into power in the SGC. Yeah, so we start off this episode with SG-1 coming back from a mission, getting fired upon. And so, because the iris needs to be open for the team to come through, they end up being like a lot of fire coming in and blowing holes (laughs) in the Kate room. (laughs) Like, well, you got blast doors for a reason. So... (laughs) That's good, at least. <laughs> but then we find out that Hammond has decided to retire, that this job has become too stressful for him, and he cannot take it anymore. And at first I was just like, I can't believe we didn't get to hear his goodbye speech. But then it's like, when you think about it, it's like, well, he ends up coming back at the end of the episode. Yeah, we're not gonna we're <laughs> so, not gonna waste valuable episode real estate when we know our boy's coming right back. Right. <laughs> if we get an actual goodbye speech at some point, then you know that he's like actually leaving. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the reason they kick him out is such BS, though. Well, because he will not give the NID technology that they want. But it's like stupid yeah i mean it's supposed to be but like yeah i don't like when other people come and mess up with the team (laughs) i don't like change yeah so we find out that (laughs) that hammond's granddaughters were threatened and so that's how the nid convinced him to retire since he wasn't going to help them get the technology that they wanted i thought it was a little bit weird that i mean i guess he had his old speech and then SG-1 was having like a private goodbye with him. But I'm like, I feel like it's weird that they're the only ones sticking around until he actually leaves. Because they're his favorites. <laughs> yeah. And Teal'c says that it's customary when a warrior leaves battle to sing a song of lament and then he says but thankfully we're not on Chulak I'm like oh we could have had a song of lament <laughs> I was like I, ex- want to hear that. I I get why they joked like made that joke but I was expecting him to like grab him by the shoulders mm-hmm. and just sing at him right in his face and I was like waiting for this and it never it never came to pass I know. I was like, what about that song of lament, though? <laughs> Just, like, that. lament really loudly right in his face. That would be so funny. <laughs> or even just something more than a bow, you know? We can't have nice things. No. And so Hammond leaves, and they're... So they have this scene in the gate room where it's, like... I think it's supposed to be the entire SGC staff 
is lined up to like greet the new head of the SGC. But I'm like, they can't possibly be everybody because that looked like 30 people. Just and the I'm special like, ones. <laughs> yeah, like that can't possibly be everybody. And, and it's also just really funny to me that everybody is in perfect rows and they're all standing at attention except for SG1 who were gossiping. <laughs> and that's why we love them. <laughs> it's, it's just like everybody else is standing at attention listening to SG1 gossiping about the new guy <laughs> You could make the case that this is indicative of like the system as a whole because SG1 knows they can get away with murder. Yeah. And everybody else knows they have to behave. Yeah. Basically. So this General Bauer comes in and basically just says, hello, thank you. I look forward to working with you. And then he walks off. Famous last words. (laughs) And I did, I did appreciate how Daniel and Teal'c were the first ones to like break rank as it were because they're not actually military right (laughs) and then jack was just like oh okay (laughs) i guess we're done here (laughs) which really at this point i feel like their non-military behavior shouldn't really be surprising jack anymore right but uh yeah so then we find out that bauer is dismantling the team and so Daniel is being relegated to a desk job because apparently, quote, an archaeologist doesn't belong in a frontline unit. I'm like, ouch. I mean, he's kind of right. I feel like we've said that before. I feel like in ordinary circumstances, he's absolutely right that an archaeologist, like, may be good on a team, not necessarily the leading team. Not necessarily this team. But at the same time, we're like halfway through season four. So Daniel has racked up enough experience points by now that he does deserve to be on a lead team. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know where he's coming from. Like like you said, like, I don't know. No, Daniel does do a lot. I know I drag him a lot, but I'm like, what has he really done? But he does quite a lot. He does quite a lot. And I mean, at the beginning, obviously, Daniel's on the team because he was looking for his wife. And then, you know... Was he? (laughs) But but also, like, given the nature of their missions, though, like, he does serve a purpose. Yeah, he does. And if he, like you said, if he hadn't racked up that experience, like, yeah, leave him at home, communicate back with him, he can do the Mm -hmm. translating stuff from there, but... The four years of missions, the year on Abydos, like, he's, yeah. he's earned it. Yeah, especially because there are some archaeologist types on other teams. So even if you were to say that an archaeologist doesn't belong in the leading team, that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as he doesn't belong on a team at all. Because, you know, like Robert Rothman, who was also an archaeologist, was, I mean, I'm not sure if he was on a permanent team, but he was at least on, like, had the ability to go on permanent missions and we've seen other teams that occasionally have like a bookish type that are on the team so it's not like it's unheard of to have you know a literary type on a team but yeah i mean primarily because of the experience i'm like he's been doing this for four years already like of course he belongs on the team 
especially because they just work as a cohesive unit. They've been working together for four years. So why would you break that up when they obviously work so well together? Because it's that thing where they like show up and they're like, the way you've been doing it for the last several years is inefficient. And we're going right. to do it this new way because this is the better way to do it. Right. And so Sam gets put to work on a giant bomb, basically. And with her, again, I can kind of see the thread of like why Bauer does that in terms of like, she is the best and brightest at the SGC. She is the smartest scientist working there, arguably also does the work of an engineer. And so I could see why you would want your best scientist not on a team so that they're never put in mortal danger. So you're not ever going to lose your best scientist. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, the whole experience thing. She's got the right. experience of being out on team and doing a really good job and working well with them. So it just doesn't make sense to pull her back from that, like, long term. I mean, maybe he was going to eventually put her back on a team. I don't know. And then Teal We'll never find moved. out. Yeah. Teal gets moved down to ST3. And my, my comment for that was, I pet Bauer is racist. I don't think you're wrong. I think a lot of the uh, <laughs> older men in this episode were yeah. racist coded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Especially when we get to Kenzie. Oh, my God. He's a piece of work. <laughs> yeah. So Jack has this whole conversation with Bauer about breaking up the team. And Bauer makes a really weird, like, <laughs> point of how he wants bullet point summaries in the mission reports. I'm like, Why? why is that something we're talking about <laughs> it's so random but I feel like I almost wonder if that's to show that Bauer thinks he like his time is worth more than reading lengthy reports yeah because the summaries. he doesn't care about the details he cares about the big points he cares about the things that will further his own interests Yeah, and he wants to know if that's in this report or not. And I guess if it's something that he deems worthy, he'll follow it up. If not, he won't. So. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it just kind of makes him look unintelligent because he's not willing to read the whole thing. Well, arguably he is unintelligent. Yeah. But in any case, that's when Jack goes to visit Hammond at his home and finds out about the threat to Hammond's granddaughters. And I'm, I'm just over here wondering, like, how the NID basically got to be as powerful as the CIA, but they're not actually sanctioned by the government. They're a, ro a rogue organization. I'm like, how do they get so much power? And as much as we, like, will touch on them here and there throughout the seasons, I'm not sure we ever learn exactly how they got started. Maybe that's so. the whole mystery of it all, is they just kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that's not... Now I'm going into conspiracy town. I'm like, is that unprecedented? To have a rogue organization be that powerful? I don't know. I don't really know, like, the history of various government organizations enough to... I don't know either, and I don't want to look it up. I'm going to end up on a list. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so for the big bomb that Sam is building, she needs more refined Naquita for it. So Bauer sends SG3, where you know the team that has Teal'c on it now, to a Gwold stronghold in order to get Naquita. And even though he's warned against it, and the team comes back missing one person because one major died, and the other guy, there's another guy who is severely wounded, and Bauer does not care. He only cares if they got the Naquita. Which surprises no one. But at the same time, you have to think that even if he's not a particularly sympathetic individual being a military person you also have to think about your bottom line in terms of not sending people out on missions that would unnecessarily put them in a line of danger to getting killed because you're losing an asset he probably thinks the asset they gain in the bomb sam's building is greater than the value of the entire team so the of almost the entire team got lost right if he gets it aqueda it balances out but what's crazy is that i'm i mean from as far as what i know they only got enough aqueda for the one bomb like for the prototype so well, I, I, maybe that's maybe that's worth it to him like just being able to build that prototype i'm not saying he's right think, like long term that you'd have to go back there and keep getting more aqueda and then you know what went wrong the first time and you'll go more prepared and you'll get more Naquita. And like, I think, I think to him, I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying he did the math right, but in his math, in his calculations, yeah, he's fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, while Sam is working on the bomb, Jack goes to see Colonel Mayborn, who's in prison, uh, to see if he can figure out how to get the NID to reinstate Hammond. And so... Of course, Mayborn is like, well, I'll help you for a price. <laughs> and I do feel like it's getting to that point where we're moving from Mayborn being a minor villain to Mayborn being that kind of annoying but lovable side character. I think the way the episode ends with Mayborn would support that theory. Yeah. You don't do that with your villains. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, well, he's obviously power hungry and he only looks out for himself, but he's not like evil necessarily. <laughs> he's not the most problematic white man in the room. <laughs> it's making it's making me think of that line from Wreck It Ralph. It's like he's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's looking out for himself, but he doesn't seem as openly problematic as like Bauer and Kinsey. You know, I mean Paris Bauer is racist. So is Kinsey. <laughs> oh they yeah, for sure. The bar is the floor. Yeah. I mean I feel like Mayborn probably is a little bit too just because he wanted to experiment on Teal'c. Oh that's true. So I'm not going to give him a pass in that department, but he still seems not as bad. But I would argue Bauer is borderline genocidal. Oh, yes. Because and I only he, borderline because I didn't see him do it. 
I mean, I yeah, I would agree because he's basically repeating the atom bomb experiments, except yeah. on another planet instead of an island. Yeah, I'm saying the only reason I say borderline is because I didn't like. Yeah, I didn't see it because we don't know for sure that there were any people on that planet. There could be people on that there planet. Could, he though. could be straight up genocidal. I just yeah, we didn't just don't see know. It. <laughs> we didn't. It we could don't know. be that. The people on that planet were hundreds of miles from the Stargate, but we're pretty sure the entire planet exploded. So it's so very possible. So we committed genocide. Possible, yeah. At least Mavor never did that. Yeah. That we know of. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, let's not go that far. <laughs> He's never had uh, the opportunity or cause so far. <laughs> we won't rule anything out. <laughs> So Jack gets Mayborn out of prison to go on this hunt for information. And Mayborn takes him back to this apartment that he has that is solely there to hide this computer with the special hacking program on it. And the fridge only has beer and mustard in it. <laughs> because it's a man's apartment. <laughs> yeah. And we get like a an Ikea reference because there's no furniture. And this scene is just so funny. Well, this one and another one later in terms of technology again, because <laughs> you've got this old desktop computer and he has to insert a floppy disk in order to make the computer run. And they completely ignore the fact that these computers take a long time to boot up. Because he, like, puts in the floppy disk and turns it on and is immediately typing away. And I'm like, oh, no. False. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what, that's not happening. Also, that's got to be dial-up, right? Like, <laughs> we fought in the great family desktop dial-up wars of the early yeah. 2000s. Like, if you yeah. were bringing a book with you to read <laughs> while you were waiting for the computer to boot up and for the internet to dial up what were right? you doing <laughs> yeah like there's no way it would have had to already have been on maybe that's already it was just connected. sleeping i don't know maybe that's I mean that's the only thing that makes sense but that's just like that previous episode where sam is in a computer lab and puts off puts out an e-impulse and she didn't actually turn off all the computers. She just turned off the monitors. <laughs> like, <babe. laughs> There's all these like computer things that just make me laugh. <laughs> I feel like we knew better at that age. Like by nine, I knew the difference between the monitor and the computer. Right. If not sooner. And then was when Mayborn is going on the internet to find, and it's just like, it's so funny to me. Oh, so, like, all of these NID secret files are, like, housed on different forums on the internet with, quote, floating firewalls. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where to start with this. <laughs> and so they have this, like, fake type of Google-adjacent search engine, because Google doesn't exist yet, <laughs> as, like, a front to their online operation and we find out later that the passwords that they use are so ridiculously easy because it ends up being that Kinsey's password is just the name of his dog. I'm like, that's it? 
No numbers? No special characters? In in 2001? No. Just a five-letter word? The number of movies in this time period where they guess the computer password by, like, thinking of something significant (laughs) instead of, like, QX12 at, (laughs) I don't know, LMNO, like... (laughs) You know, like the randomly generated passwords we yeah, have now. Yeah. But I still feel like there's a difference between a password to unlock a computer, like inter- like logging into a profile, versus logging into a rogue government website. No, that's what I'm classified thinking. Information. I'm not even thinking to like unlock the computer. What, what popped into my head was, um, what's the Batman movie with Uma Thurman in it? The George Clooney one, Batman and Robin. Yeah. Yeah, in Batman and Robin when they're trying to get into like somebody's secret file. I think it's Alfred's files. And they're like all coded and they're like uh-huh. Barbara or whatever. It was just like uh-huh. somebody's name. Yeah. And that was it. And it was all of the secret. It was it was all like the Batman information. Yeah. On his personal computer was hidden behind like his sister's name. Right. And that was it. So and this was like about the same time period. Yeah. <laughs> just like, man. If only it was so easy to hack into a rogue elements website. <laughs> Hackers were not a thing yet, apparently. Or at least not a huge concern. Guess not. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just so funny to see all the technology of the time. Oh, goodness. So, so they end up going to see Senator Kinsey because Mayborn knows that Kinsey is in the NID since he's worked with him on an NID project before. And I saw in your notes that you said it's the White House. It's not the White House. It looked like the White House. It took me it's- a very long time to realize it wasn't the White House. Yeah, no, because the, the White House is a lot bigger than that. And also the driveway doesn't come up that close to the house. Oh, I was just thinking they couldn't so. get access to the White House, so they were filming at well, the White location. <laughs> it is not the White House, it is just a White House. It's a plantation house, is what it is. Well. I mean, I mean that's essentially, all houses that look like that, those are plantation houses. I mean, I re- like, I realized it wasn't the White, White House as soon as they were like, Senator, are you here? I'm like, oh, the Senators don't live in the White House. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the White House is also a plantation house, but like... But, <laughs> but like, this is, anytime you see a really large house that's usually completely white, maybe with some blue shutters, and kind of like that boxy early American style, that's, that's a plantation house. Which says a lot about Kinsey. <laughs> um, they introduce themselves at the door as Starsky and Hutch, and his wife's yeah. like, hi, welcome. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. Uh, she seems to not be fully there. And then he's like, no, Starskin Hutch is a TV show. She's like, oh, you're actors? And I'm like, ma'am. You I really need to watch the Starskin Hutch generation, and I knew that was a TV show. Right? <laughs> Me too. I've never seen the show. Me neither. I'm like, I know it's a detective but, show, but that's, but that's all I know. Yeah. Even as a kid, I think I knew the reference. <laughs> But it's just so funny. And so, like, the wife just invites them in. And the dog comes running up. And, fun fact, the dog, Oscar, is Richard Neat Anderson's dog. 
Oh. So, so he Listen, just got he's got a dog. He's hugging some kids in this episode. Right? I'm not strong enough. <laughs> and he was close with Sam in the last episode. I mean, listen, we ate better earlier this season, but I'm not complaining at the crumbs I get. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so they convince Kinsey to go upstairs so that Mayborn can get on his computer. <laughs> I thought it was, there was a, like, a funny moment where Jack admits that he doesn't trust Mayborn and Mayborn just shrugs. I'm like, there's like a, we've got the now like kind of like a bromance thing <laughs> kind of building between Jack and Mayborn. <laughs> and like when Jack pulled out a gun on Kinsey and Mayborn seemed very impressed. And I'm like, calm down there, buddy. Like, <laughs> don't fall in love so fast. <laughs> And then, you know, Kinsey shows his racist side by threatening to kill Teal. I'm like, cool, cool. Love to see it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Love it here. <sighs> yeah. And then, actually, I, I thought that Kinsey made a really interesting point. He was like, half of the American population doesn't vote, and the other half are too stupid to know what they're doing. And I'm like, you know, he's not totally off base. <laughs> <laughs> we do have very low voter turnout in this country and there are a lot of dumb voters <laughs> I do like um, Jack's come back to that that's how he's you like they're elected. too dumb to know what they're doing he's like oh that's how you got elected yeah <laughs> I mean Donald Trump listen time and time again we see it happen yeah she won't predicted it. Well, I mean, Bush had just gotten elected. Right? The first time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was elected in 2000. Yeah. Or on. when was this episode? This episode premiered in January of 2001. So, yeah. This, hang on. This episode was, what day was this? Okay, so given that the last episode was September 29th, prior to the election, uh-huh. meaning they were probably writing this and filming it during the election. Yeah. Bush was inaugurated two weeks after this aired. Yeah. So they had some feelings. <laughs> and I think this is like the first time, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this is the first time watching this where we can directly track like an in-episode sentiment to like what was actually happening outside the episode like in real life yeah maybe i mean after during the after- like overtly i mean i'm sure like right. every piece of media is a reflection of the time in which it's made but i think currently at the time they still have a democratic president in the show because they've previously mentioned the president leaning democratic without explicitly saying that and as far as I know, we haven't switched to a new president yet since the show started. Right. And in this episode, Kinsey announces that he's going to be running for president, which means that we're one to two years out from the characters in the show having a new president. Which means either it's a condensed timeline or whoever the current president is, is in his second term. Yeah. 
Probably in the second term, I would guess. Yeah, like he got elected to a second term like sometime mm-hmm. during the events of the show. Yeah. That is really interesting that they didn't include because they they normally do have the like the show is supposed to be airing when the events are actually occurring. But they're talking about Kenzie just announcing his candidacy. Well, if if season two was the election year in universe and it's just the same president now serving a second term, then it's not worth remarking on. It's just weird that they're not following the true election year. Like if this is supposed to be taking place in 2000, it's a little bit weird that it's not also an election year in the show. I think just figured it was going to be too much. Yeah. Plus, if you're not following a true election year, then if you do need an election-based subplot, you can just bring it up whenever. Yeah. Because we're waiting for the next election year. Yeah. So we go back to the SGC, and Sam finishes building the bomb that Bauer wants, and he had picked out a test site, and Sam protested because it's a planet that supports plant and animal life. And then literally right before they're going to send the bomb through, Daniel comes in and says that the geographical report was falsified and there are trace amounts of Naquita on this planet, which means that the bomb is going to cause a chain reaction. Cue title sequence. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And likely blow up the entire planet because of the increased effect of the Nequita. And so then they realized that this was Bauer's intention all along because he reasons that they're going to be using these bombs to use against Gwold strongholds and most Gwold strongholds have Nequita either as a mining operation there or in storage. So it's likely to have the same type of effect. Except that that's just like completely blowing past the scientific method of test it out in normal circumstances first to see what the bomb can do on its own before you then start adding in outside elements like existing Nakwa in the soil. But he doesn't care. Yeah, he's not a scientist, so... It's not that he's not a scientist, he's just reckless and doesn't care. Right, yeah, he's very reckless. And we never actually find out if he's working directly for the NID or if he's just a patsy. But either way, he's an idiot. So I'm not sure if it really matters. (laughs) But they send the bomb through and they detonate the bomb and it predictably, you know, has the results like way past their predicted charts because of the aqua in the soil and the radiation comes back through the Stargate because the Stargate was not destroyed in the explosion. And so they have to close the iris, but that, even that's not enough. So they evacuate the entire base. And finally, Bauer looks extremely nervous and is regretting his actions. Like, well, oh, it only took you what, two days. I guess. Well, I don't even know. It might be, is it like all the same day? I had a hard time. I don't think it's track. all the same day. Well, it's really hard to keep track of how much time is actually passing. I would say the the day it all goes down, the day Jack goes to visit Mm -hmm. um, Hammond, and then the day at the not White House. 
So three yeah, days. Yeah, maybe. I was thinking maybe two days. Because, like... I just don't think there's he, enough time in the day for it to still be that brightly daylight. Yeah. That's why I think it's three days. Yeah. Could be. Well, it's hard to say. In any case, they... It ends up being that the Stargate does cut itself off at the 38 window mark. And so they are not all, you know, destroyed in a fiery explosion or what have you. Which is nice. But I will know that in the past, we have previously been informed that the Stargate typically shuts itself off after 38 minutes. But we never got anything more specific than that. In this one, we get the very specific time code of 38 minutes, 34 seconds, and 12 milliseconds. So now That's we have extremely that. arbitrary. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm also disappointed it's not 38 minutes, 34 seconds, and 30 milliseconds. Right. Decreasing by four each time. Yeah. <laughs> That's extremely yeah, I, arbitrary. That's what I was seeing, too. It seemed like if you have, like, a standard shutdown protocol i would think it would be something more grounded like 40 minutes or 60 minutes unless it's like a wait what remind me what is shutting it down like is it a sgc thing or is it like a no it's it's a stargate thing it's a timekeeping system from somewhere else makes more sense yeah, but what timekeeping system would line up with 38 minutes and 34 seconds? Not something that is you know? 60 seconds to every minute, 60 minutes to every hour. I don't know. I just think it's arbitrary. I don't think it I don't think it's supposed to line up with any mathematical code. I think it's completely arbitrary. I think it's arbitrary on the writer's part, but I'm like maybe in in canon it's it lines up with something. I don't know. Not that I've ever noticed, but I could be wrong. But General Bauer does actually apologize. So I'm like, well, that was nice. You know, <laughs> growth. Even if he I'm is like, racist. How long was he in charge for? Like two days? Three days. Three days. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first day could have been like when Hammond was leaving. So it might have only been two days that he was actually there. Uh, could be I still think they needed time to threaten his granddaughters and yeah well they had threatened his granddaughters already before the episode started oh I misunderstood yeah because he because Hammond had said two weeks ago okay yeah it could be two days yeah but in any case you know, the day was saved at the SGC because the Stargate shut off, so that was fine. Going back to Jack's plot, they got what they needed from Kinsey, but then he had his, like, goons in all black waiting to take them away. And so Jack, I thought Jack was very clever. He just, he called a press conference <laughs> so that they could get away because the goons couldn't you know, try to attack them or arrest them if there was press there. Yeah. I'm like, there's smart Jack. Yeah. That's my man. Yeah. So Hammond gets reinstated. Um, I like the, um, sorry, before we move on from the past conference, mm-hmm. I like Kinsey's like brief moment of panic. Because <laughs> Jack, 
he had threatened something else about the media, right? Earlier. Oh well, he had he said that he would go public with the information if Kinsey didn't play along. That's what it was. So I yeah. like the like the couple seconds of panic. Of like, did he go public? Like somehow right. they were like, "Are you running for president?" He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> totally." Yes. <laughs> and I love how his wife was there in the background. Like she, I think they they had probably already talked about it. Because she didn't look surprised at all. Oh, yeah. I feel like every every white man who goes into politics is like, I'm going to be the president. Right. Yeah. And since they were having a party with political type people there, she was probably like, oh, I didn't realize you were going to do this, but this was information I already knew. Yeah. You know? So somehow, Mayborn kind of gets away i guess jack took him back to prison but he bargained with kinsey to get transported to some island somewhere so that he could (laughs) serve out his sentence on a beach instead of in a prison cell relatable (laughs) so he's like gonna go drink margaritas and dance with people for a little bit (laughs) oh man and I'm like, well, all's well that ends well, I guess. Woo! Oh, another fun fact is the guy that plays General Bauer originally auditioned to play General Hammond. I'm glad he didn't get it. No disrespect to the actor. Um, He's too stern. What's the name of the actor who plays Hammond? Don... S. Davis. Don S. Davis. is so cuddly. Yeah, he is. <laughs> so like paternal and cuddly yeah. and I, I don't want anybody else yeah. anybody okay. else would have been wrong yeah nobody else would, would say gold like gould <laughs> well Kinsey does yeah but it's not the same it sounds <laughs> racist when he does it <laughs> <laughs> it really does sound more racist when he says it. like when Hammond says it's just just how he talks when Kinsey says it I'm like that was racist it sounds loaded every time yeah (laughs) the ghouled like not even it sounds like he's saying you people you know right it does I like I like your call I guess this is in reply to what something Kinsey said about the Lord's work he was going and I'm gonna do the Lord's work and I was like what he said it if he has to shake hands with the devil in order to do the Lord's work, then he's going to do it. And I'm like, well, if this th- if that isn't the unofficial slogan of every Republican politician ever. <laughs> That's what jumped out at me. I was like, I didn't realize politicians talked like this in 2001 and then like it, then realized it's like a metaphor. But given the way politicians talk now, I thought he's dead serious. I mean, I think he is serious. Well, good point. <laughs> but uh, not to worry because Jack has a copy of incriminating information very very sexy of so him. he will hold on to that for a little while <laughs> one of my comments was like oh hey it's Mayborn our favorite creepo <laughs> mood every time I see him I get unsettled right <laughs> I couldn't like, even oh, remember man. The last episode he was in when he popped up, I'm like, why am I suddenly uncomfortable? Right. And then it like all came together, but like, like oh yeah, that guy. that's why I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, that guy. 
he remain like we'll see him a couple more times and he remains annoying but like still not anywhere as bad as like kidsy or anything <laughs> like oh yeah the guy we love to hate all right anything else in these two episodes that we missed no don't think there's anything particularly problematic i mean there are characters doing problematic things but that's part of their character bit yeah nothing nothing like concubine or whatever that episode was yeah what's the first episode what's the third episode called emancipation not concubine Literally every time you call it, <laughs> I don't. I blocked that one out. I refuse <laughs> to remember the name. Yeah, not like a. We think we're like really saying something here, but it's actually super problematic. Like anything yeah. problematic in this episode is supposed to be problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apophis did have a harem, but again, Apophis is that's, problematic. Yeah, that's on par for his character. Though, and also, so. like in two thousand one. Every music video with a budget over twenty dollars had right. had dancers like that. So that's true. That's true. I feel like these episodes hold up okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The Serpent's Venom one started. I was like, I had forgotten the other the bomb plot point, and I was like, oh man, is it gonna be like an entire episode with Chill getting tortured? I'm like, oh, thank God they also had the mind part to like. Thank God there's a it. bomb. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's just like really hard to watch him getting tortured. So, like, yeah, that was really hard to watch. Yeah. But I mean, I thought the chain reaction was fun. I know you were annoyed with it, but <laughs> I thought it was fun. <laughs> All right. So, next week, we're going to be talking about SG1 season four, episodes 16 and 17, 2010, and Absolute Power. I'm really excited for 2010 based on the name alone. It's a fan favorite. Okay. It, it's definitely it's, one of those... It's making me think like, of, like, 1969, so... <laughs> I think it's definitely one of those that are generally in people's top ten. Okay. But also, we lived through so. 2010. Right. <laughs> we remember 2010. We remember it. <laughs> we were only a couple years away from meeting in 2010. Well, we well, meant 2015. Four. 14. 15? 15. Okay, whatever. We're five years away from meeting. Yeah. Okay, are you ready for your next quote? Yes. Okay, wait a second here. We are considering changing the lives of the entire human race on Earth. Do we have the right? It's Sam. It's Sam. They're doing some kind of project. It's like the midpoint of the episode. Whatever they're about to do is going to have a major... Wait! Hmm. No, never mind. I was going to say it's probably from 2010 and there's like a time travel aspect to it, but that's the future, not the past. It could be, though. Maybe they jump back in time as well. I don't know. But they're going to make some sort of decision that at the end of the day is going to so severely impact life on Earth that Sam's like, but the ethics. Okay. Well, we'll find out next week if you're right. That's it for today. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would love for you to rate us five stars wherever you can. If you want to talk to us about Stargate, you can find us on our podcast Twitter and Tumblr page at Wormhole Waffles. I also have a Blue Sky and a Hive. I don't actually check them. <laughs> they're just there as backups. But, you know, they're there. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Chelsea Fairless. Arzu, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Arzu Amin. I'm at Arzu D2 
on Instagram and Tumblr. Uh, I also have a blue sky. It's at arzomine.bluesky.social. And as for the Geeky Waffle, you can find us on Twitter at geeky underscore waffle. We are the Geeky Waffle on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr. We're the Geeky Waffle on YouTube. We're at thegeekywaffle.com. And we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash thegeekywaffle. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you on the other side of the event, Ryzen. <laughs>